Good morning, friends. Good morning. It is so great to see you all this morning. What a beautiful day we have here today. Grateful to, to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. Well, as you prepare for worship, I would like to ask you to um, follow along as we read from Psalm 67, reading verses 1 through 5. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. And that is what we are here to do this morning, right? We are here to praise and worship our Lord. He is so worthy. He is so worthy, and I know that he is here. He is present with us, and he's ready to comfort, encourage, and speak to us this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for these promises, this truth that you are a God for your people and you are present with us. You are indeed among us and at work all around us. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts this morning as we come before you. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, guide us, correct us. Lord, speak to us. We are here. We are listening. We are ready to hear from you. Lord, receive this praise and this worship. We, we enter to this place humbly, Humble before you, God. We recognize our great need for you, Lord. For some, it's, it's maybe been a long week, and they, they drag themselves in here weary this morning. Lord, would you meet us here? Would you renew us? Fill us with your strength. Lord, we are anxious to worship you together this morning. We love you, Lord. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. That was powerful. That was a powerful song. Amen. Thank you for sharing your gift with us this morning. Well, this morning, let me um, ask if you would stand and join us for the reading of Scripture. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, would you anoint these words that have been prepared this morning? Would you open up our hearts to hear the word that you would have for your people? Lord, would you move in such a way that it is clear the response you would have from your, from your people, from us, as we have read this word and as we consider its teachings? Lord, we thank you for your word that is 
true and good for teaching us and guiding us and directing and redirecting us. Redirect us this morning, Lord. Our hearts are open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is the seventh and final Sunday of Easter, if you're keeping up with the uh, what we call liturgical or Christian calendar. And um, this day ends, of course, or this season ends, of course, with the ascension of our Lord Jesus as we read this ascension passage today on Ascension Sunday. And I'm sure you are familiar with this passage. If you've been in the church, I shouldn't say I'm sure you are. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you have probably heard this passage and you are familiar with the instruction that we receive from Jesus in this passage. And we consider the fact that this is the end of a significant moment in time when Jesus, over a period of 40 days, and we've kind of looked at this throughout the past several weeks, over a period of 40 days, Jesus miraculously and surprisingly showed up among the disciples, and he continued to teach them. He continued to provide for them what they needed, what they longed for in a risen Savior. He continued to love them in real and tangible ways. And this was such a rich time they've had with their risen Lord over these past 40 days. And so that time is, is coming kind of to an end, that particular time. I would imagine that this is such a bittersweet moment. Imagine, imagine for a moment that you were among the few that had the, the privilege of seeing Jesus in the flesh, the resurrected Jesus in the flesh over the past 40 days. And as this time is coming to an end and he is about to leave, imagine just the bittersweet emotions in this moment. I, I, I would venture to bet that it was mostly bitter. <laughs> I, would, I would venture to bet that there weren't even a lot of sweet emotions here, that it was just all like, really? Oh, what a hard moment that must have been. And so Jesus, as he is talking to the disciples this last time before ascending to heaven to sit with the Father, to reign on his throne, he gives the disciples instructions. He, he answers this question that we'll get to in just a moment, but he gives them instructions. He alludes to the coming power of the Holy Spirit that we will see and celebrate next week on Pentecost Sunday. But he, he alludes to that and he says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, my power is going to fill you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, important, but also Judea and also, yes, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we might read this passage and, and receive that as instruction. In fact, I've heard many clever uh, sermons and, and read clever books that, that talk about what our, the church today, what our Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, where these places are for us. And I think that's appropriate to think about and talk about. But we can easily receive these instructions and miss the fact that, I think what Luke is trying to set up as the author of Acts, he's essentially setting up a blueprint that we are going to be able to follow as we read throughout the book of Acts, if you've read through the book. Uh, you see, if you read through the book of Acts, you will see that, that in Jerusalem, on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit did indeed come. His Spirit was poured out on all people, and all of a sudden, you just see this unity. You see Israel united. You see tribes from every 
every tongue and every nation. They come together. They are united under the lordship of Jesus Christ and the power that has filled them. And they see these men preaching and they can understand what they're saying. And they would celebrate that on Pentecost. They would experience the filling and the pouring of the Holy Spirit. And this would be so important to what was to come because it would establish this continuity between Jesus and now his disciples, as well as empower them and enable them to serve as prophetic witnesses. Pentecost was a big deal, and it meant a lot of, of prophecy that was fulfilled in Scripture. It was a big deal. I'm excited to celebrate Pentecost with you all next week. And we are actually going to be joined with our brothers and sisters from Belleville Hispanic. And they are going to come and we are going to have a combined service. And I am anticipating what a joy that will be to worship with them and to hear from Pastor Omar. Um, I, I think it's going to be great. So I hope you join us. But So in Jerusalem, we see Pentecost. We see the fulfillment of prophecy and the pouring of the Holy Spirit. But we also see another significant moment, among other things. We see Stephen's death. And you see Stephen, having been a witness to who Jesus is, to the power of Jesus... He was the first Christian martyr as a result of that witness. You see that word witness in the Greek is martus, and it's where we get that word martyr. And so sometimes being a witness meant that you would indeed be a martyr. And so Stephen was this first Christian martyr, and as tragic as his death was, we see that it took that in order to have the church dispersed into these other areas that they would then go, which being Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And among other things in Judea and Samaria, we see the ministry of Philip, the, the amazing ministry of Philip. Love some of those stories. We see the, the powerful conversion of Saul, who would become Paul. We see Peter's amazing ministry continued and the things that God would do in Peter and around Peter. We see the church that's born in Antioch under the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. We see the first multi-ethnic congregation, or what we would think of as a congregation, group of people. We see international missionaries and so much more. But what we see is Christians doing what they were called and commissioned to do by Jesus, both last week in Matthew 28 and this week in this passage in Acts. And so when you think about it like that, you can see where, where this passage serves as a blueprint as to what would come for the disciples. And yet, all of that comes after this maybe peculiar question that is asked of Jesus. Did you catch that question? So when they're all gathered around Jesus, I would imagine with great anticipation they ask this question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I imagine that question having undertones like, Lord, are you at this time going to make all things right and new again? Lord, are you finally going to vindicate us, fulfill, fulfill prophecy? Are you going to finally redeem and restore Israel? Lord, we've been waiting so long. We are your people, your faithful people. Are you now going to make things right with us and for us? Lord, is it time because you see, before Jesus, many Jews had given up any hope for change throughout history because of the rebellion and the corruption and the evil that they saw. Instead of, of waiting out and, and holding out hope, they, they would just wait for the end of this age. 
And so with great anticipation, they were waiting for the end of this age and they were waiting for the new age when, when all things would be fully and completely restored and made new. And my heart is heavy for them thinking that that might happen in this actual moment and then to think of how long we've come since that moment, right? When you think about it. But you see, what, what they would see is that the kingdom of or Israel would be restored. Israel would be restored, but it would be in a different way. And we see, starting with Pentecost, that the kingdom was now going to be seen in new and different ways. And that restoration and that making of all things new is going to come in a way that they didn't fully expect. And so, if you think about it, when we think about all these things and the ascension, the ascension was not the end, but it was only the beginning of something new. But it was also ultimately about God's, listen, continued presence and divine promises for his people that he's always been with his people, but guess what? He's going to continue to be with his people in new and amazing ways as they take on the call to partner with him on mission with God. And they've seen this in Jesus. They've seen Jesus model this. This is who Jesus was, the promised Messiah. They have seen God's love for his people in and through Jesus, demonstrated through the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus. They've seen the power of God at work through the resurrection. And now the church is going to see the power of God at work in them through the Holy Spirit. The disciples would, would still have to be prepared to learn these things, and, and it took some time, and it was a journey, but I can't help but overlook that they were hung up on this particular question. And I think the reason that I got hung up on that is because I think that we, too, get hung up on this question or questions like this. You see, at times, I imagine us looking a lot like the disciples there in, the mo in that moment before Jesus' ascension. I imagine us sometimes as, as the group of people that are standing before God with our eyes fixed on the clouds saying, Lord, is it time yet? Lord, we're so tired and weary. Is it time for you to come back and rescue us and make all things new again? Oh, Lord, don't you see all the evil and chaos around us? I think sometimes we pit ourselves together and we just fix our eyes on the clouds and we're just waiting and waiting and waiting and we're standing and we're asking, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Well, let's read some more throughout here and see if we can point to the time yet. Is it time yet? And we get stuck waiting, standing, staring, not moving. And I think that while we're standing, waiting, and staring, we miss the ways that God is calling us to move toward all the broken people that are still all around us in our Ju Jerusalem, Judeas, Samarias, and our ends of the earth. I imagine us asking this question, Lord, Lord, will you? Will you come back yet? I imagine us asking this question and I imagine his response, so Lord, will you? His response, not without you. I imagine that that's kind of what the response to this question that we ask so often, Lord, when will you? Lord, will you? Not without you. I'm not finished with you. I still have so much more for you to do. 
So I wonder this morning, is it possible that we've been caught standing, waiting, staring, all while missing the opportunities around us to move in and move toward, just like Jesus did? Tim Keller, he says this, he says, Christianity is about what Jesus has done and continues to do through his disciples, implying that the work is not finished yet and you and I are a part of that work. And this is essentially what it means to be witnesses, as Luke says. Witnesses is kind of that word that we are focusing on today. Witnesses, it essentially means We are one who can declare what we know and see about Jesus. We can go tell someone that Jesus is the world's true Lord, but we can also show them. We can also show them by living in response to what God has called us to do. It implies action. It implies doing, moving toward. How are we going to know what to do in the world if we are so removed from the world because we're just waiting, right? We're just waiting And so if we are these witnesses, if you and I are witnesses declaring what we know about Jesus, because that's what you and I are, okay? Let's get on the same page really quickly. You and I are witnesses. We are these witnesses. Don't think of the classic witness, like I'm going to go witness to somebody. That's, That's accurate and true, but we're not talking about that. We are witnesses as we have seen what God has done, right? We have experienced what God has done, and so we are witnesses And we are declaring to the world what we know about Jesus. And if that is true, then what does the world know about Jesus? What does the world know about Jesus if that's the truth? Do they see Jesus as someone who stood still waiting? Or did they see Jesus as someone who moved toward, stepped into the mess, moved toward the lost, moved toward the broken, moved toward the outcast, moved toward the unwanted, the hated, the poor, the ones that no one else was willing to move toward. The the scripture in John, he doesn't say that the light of the world stood back at a distance and shined his light. He shone his light on the world, but he didn't ever get in the mess of it. He just kind of, you know, just kind of shined on the world. No, John says that the light of the world stepped into darkness, stepped into the mess, moved into the neighborhood, took up residence among us and continued to move toward the broken, the outcast, the unwanted, the rejected, the hated, and the poor. And so I love how N.T. Wright, he talks about how Reading the book of Acts through this lens, if we read the book of Acts through this lens, not just the stories of spiritual experiences or the remarkable healings or the strange and divine promptings and leadings, although this is all important, we should read the book of Acts through the lens that through Jesus' followers, God is continuing to establish his kingdom and rule of King Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. The world ought to see who Jesus is because of the faithful witnesses, us, and their willingness to move toward. Not stand, stare, and wait, move toward. And I think that sounds exciting, don't you think? That sounds really exciting. Are you ready? Let's go. I think that sounds really exciting, but I'll tell you what's far less demanding. It's far less demanding 
to speculate than it is to be a witness. Man, right? It's far less demanding to just speculate, when, Lord Jesus, are you going to come and redeem the mess that is this world? When, Lord Jesus, are you going to come? I don't think those questions are bad. I think that there can be lament found in that, that sometimes we're in our honest selves, we just come before the Lord and say, how long, O Lord? But not without some kind of response from us or some kind of action on our part. I think this all sounds really great and exciting, but it's, it's much less demanding to be a spec- speculator than it is to participate in the here and now of the kingdom and being witnesses who move toward. And while it might be easier to be a speculator, one who just kind of sits and waits and watches, I'm afraid that it would be missing the mark of what we've been called to do. And I'm also afraid that it's only going to maybe prolong things because if we look around, we will see there is so much work to be done. Right? There's so much work to be done. It's much easier to be speculators and ask the, these kinds of questions that the disciples asked than to put our eyes on the people and their brokenness and their messiness. And, the, and it's easier to do that than to look at the hard things around us and move toward those hard things because who really wants to do that? Who naturally wants to do that? And I think one of the things that we tend to look away from I don't think we do this on purpose. I don't think we do this intentionally. But I think one of the things that we tend to look away from or kind of close our eyes off is the crisis with children without homes. I think it's all too easy for us to look away from the overwhelming crisis that is the foster care system. Do you know that that's a crisis? In just about every state, it's a crisis. A crisis is there are more children, a lot more children than places for them to go. That's a crisis. And we've seen this crisis for a long time, and it's an overwhelming crisis. It's a messy crisis. It's a bleak crisis, and it's much easier to just turn our eyes away from it than to actually look up and look at it and move toward it. I think it's really easy for us to do that. And it's really easy for us to look at the crisis and say, Lord, how, how, when are you going to come back and redeem this? Look at this crisis, Lord. When are you going to come and make this right and, and make all things new and, and fix this problem? And again, my mind goes back to, Lord, will you? Not without you. See, one way that we are called to demonstrate the gospel and participate in bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is to move toward the hard places and broken situations like that with children who are in foster care. We should know that as Christians, as the church, as sent ones, as people of God, we are indeed called to move toward these children, not away from them. We're called to move toward their mess and their brokenness, not away and turn a blind eye to it. And by the way, we're called in more than one place to do this. In case you're, you're wondering, we're called in multiple places to do this. And I just thought you might want to know, so I came prepared to share some of those with you. Isaiah 117. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. 
plead the case of the widow, move toward as witnesses. James 1.27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Move toward as witnesses. 1 John 3.17, how does God's love, this one hurts, get ready for it. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Move toward as witnesses as one who has seen the true God, as one who has experienced the life-changing power of the resurrected Jesus. Take what you know, what you've experienced, what you've been given, and move toward the brokenness as witnesses who have seen and experienced the Lord. There's more places in Scripture, but friends, we are specifically called to move toward the orphans broken, the fatherless. It's messy. It's heartbreaking. It's time-consuming. It's a serious commitment, but it's not getting any better by us just closing our eyes and shutting ourselves out and pretending that it doesn't exist, all while we keep our eyes on the sky waiting and ready. As you guys know, May is Foster Care Awareness Month, and we've designated this particular Sunday as as Foster Care Awareness Sunday, or as I kind of like to think about it this week, the challenge to get involved Sunday, the challenge to get involved and move toward as witnesses. And I don't want to lose you this morning, and I'm just going to say this up front, I don't want to lose you this morning because you are um, thinking that I'm calling all of you to go out and sign up to foster children, right? I'm not calling all of you to do that. And I'm well aware that there are many that are not called to do that. And for some, it's better that they don't do that, if we're being honest. (laughs) I'm not calling you all to go out and sign up to, to host foster children in your home, to bring them into your home. And so I just want to make that abundantly clear. We can't all do that, but we can all do something. And I hope you will be challenged by this amazing video that I want to share with you. My name is Terry Hopwood, and I want to tell you a story that comes from Exodus 3. There was a man whose name was Moses who got in some trouble in Egypt, and so he ran away to a far-off desert. He was hiding from God there. He became a shepherd, he started a family, and all was right with him. But as you know, and I know, and Jonah knows, You can't hide from God. And God found Moses in that desert, and he said, I've got a job for you. I want you to go to the most powerful man in the world, and I want you to tell him what I want him to do. And then you go to my people. There's two million of them, and they haven't heard from me for 400 years, but I want you to tell them what I want them to do as well. Moses was horrified. He said, I'm not the guy for that job. I can't do that. I am not gifted in speaking. I don't have the right tools. Go find somebody else. But God said to him, Moses, what do you have in your hand? Moses looked down and he had his shepherd's staff in his hand. And you know, a shepherd's staff is really just a great big stick. God said to him, Moses, use that. Well. I know about Restore Network, and I know about its mission, and everything about it speaks to my heart. But you see, I'm a 62-year-old retired widow. I'm not in a position to foster. 
But the story still haunts me. And God reminded me of the story of Moses. And I wondered, what is it that I've got in my hand? I have a weird thing in my hand. I make parties. I make Christmas parties and wedding parties and anniversary parties and birthday parties and small group parties. I own 200 candlesticks. Who does that? I do. And you'll never guess what. They needed parties. They needed a Christmas party for 300 people. They needed a fundraising party where people could come and hear about the ministry of Restore Network. They needed 200 candlesticks. And what I found is as I joined my big stick with other people's big stick who also were not in a position to foster, we did amazing things. I love knowing that there's a whole group of people besides just me helping this one family. I personally saw how a CASA volunteer could make a difference in a child's life. And so that made me excited to become a CASA volunteer. I'm really passionate about abiding with people and especially abiding with children and families. And that's something that I see that Restore does really well. It's a way that I can help a family have an opportunity maybe to spend some more quality time with the new foster child when they come in, maybe get some rest, go to appointments, and then my uh, meal just gives them an opportunity to just have some time to breathe. But what I've seen is that for a foster and adoptive family to be successful, um, they need to have support. They need to have someone that's walking alongside them. They need to have someone that understands what it's like, um, but also can just meet basic needs. So sometimes it might just be providing a meal. Sometimes it's emotional support. Sometimes it's prayer. Um, and so the Restore Network provides all of that, and so it's something that I knew was really important and I just wanted to be a part of. So it was an easy decision for us to decide to sign up and become a monthly sponsor as a champion of hope to promote and support this great work. Hundreds of meals are prepared and delivered every year. Clothes are purchased and distributed. School supplies are purchased and distributed. We have date nights for mom and dads where we keep the children and they get to go and have fun. There is training and hope and support given to foster parents, all because people like me, who are not in a position to foster, said to God, I've got this big stick. Can you use it? Come to the party with us. You're going to really love the centerpieces. Well, if she's not the most precious thing you've ever seen, and I spotted one of our own in that video, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up here. And I just want to challenge you to think about some of the ways that you can get involved with the work that Restore is doing. Because we are called to move toward as witnesses. We are called to move toward and get involved. And so for some, that does look like fostering. And I'm not going to lie to you and say they don't need foster families anyways. They do, and that's a reality, and they're going to probably always need more people to say yes to fostering. And they've got the tools and the resources to equip you if that scares you. But there's other ways that you can get involved. And so maybe you saw a way on that video that spoke to you. And maybe you have a, a weird thing in your hands like parties or candlesticks. Maybe you can get involved with the event planning and volunteering. That's the two of their greatest needs right now after fostering is event planning and volunteering for those big year, uh, two events a year kind of things. They, they blow them up. They're huge events for the whole, all the families that are connected to Restore. 
So maybe you would like to help with that. Maybe you feel like that's something that you could do. Another huge need they have is uh, people who would be willing to provide meals for families who have just received a new placement. That's something you can do. You can provide a meal for a family who has just received possibly multiple children at one time. And if you're not even a cook and you're like, they're not going to want what I have to offer, uh, I was reminded this week that you can go pick up something from the restaurant. You can go have something uh, delivered to their house. You can order food and have it delivered to them. They, they try to give each family six meals per new placement, which I think is amazing. That's a lifesaver right there. If, if mom and dad don't have to figure out what to do for dinner six times, that just opens up all kinds of opportunities. And so they, they like to have six meals per new placement. And so there's always a need for that. You can be somebody who says, well, I don't think I'm, I'm the type of person that can foster full-time and open up my home full-time, but I'd be willing to do that. Sometimes, maybe there's a place for you to be trained to be in respite care, where your job is to simply watch the foster kiddos for a weekend or a couple of hours while the family just gets away and is able to have a break, because that's going to keep them successful. That's going to keep them going in this messy, hard uh, call to foster. Whatever it is, I hope that you will consider what you have in your hand and how you might be called to move toward. And if this morning you find that your heart is moved to do one of these things or something else, we've got some cards out in the foyer. They're basically little volunteer cards, and you indicate on that card what you would be willing to help with. And we'll get that to restore, and then they can contact you so that you can start being a part of the fantastic work that Restore is doing. But just in general, would you pray this morning that God would, would show you and reveal to you what's in your hand and how he can use that? This morning, as we prepare to sing this last song and open up our hearts to the Lord in response, would you ask God to show you specifically how you can look around and see what's broken and ask God to empower you through his Holy Spirit to move toward as witnesses of the kingdom of God? And finally this morning, I just want to challenge you that maybe the next time you find yourself asking questions like, Lord, now will you? Lord, is it time? Will you now? I want to challenge you that when you begin to think that, ask God how he wants to use you. Use that prompting in your heart to cry out to God and ask him, God, show me how you want to use me. Show me how I can move toward. Because God's people demonstrate the gospel by being witnesses who see and move toward hard places and broken people. Let's open up our hearts to the Lord this morning. I don't think Aaron could have picked a better song to end with, and I always love how even though he doesn't always know the exact you know, destination of the message, um, the Lord's faithfulness shows in, in that planning of the music. And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking of when I meet my Lord face to face, and we long to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, you did what I asked you to do. Church, may that be the cry of our heart this morning. Amen. Amen.